We're going to jump right in and continue uh, this journey of Love Defined. And I want to review last week, very briefly, uh, the big points that we discovered last week at the end of chapter 13, verse 4. There were three uncharacteristics of love that Paul describes at the end of verse 4. The first one was that agape love does not envy. That means it's not jealous. Love does not chase after what it doesn't have. It delights in the good things it has as well as the better things that others have. Love doesn't get jealous or envious when it sees somebody else with something better. Love is content with what it has, but at the same time, when it sees someone with something better, better rather than responding in jealousy, it responds in joy. And then, the second one, we said that agape does not boast, which means it doesn't brag. Love does not boast about itself because it knows everything it has comes from Jesus. Can anybody identify with that this morning? There is no reason ever for us to ever be boastful or braggy about anything that we are, anything that we do, or anything that we have, because the one person responsible for all of those things is Jesus. Everything was made by him and for him, and in him all things hold together. So there's no reason for us to ever be boastful or brag, and true agape love does not do that. And then thirdly, we said that love is not proud. It's not arrogant. And we talked about the trickery of pride. Pride takes what belongs to God alone and convinces us that it's ours. We talked about last week how pride will convince us that we have the authority over our own lives that we really don't have. That belongs to God. We said that Pride will trick us into thinking we have a righteousness that would allow or permit us to pronounce judgment on people. And that is only reserved for God. Pride takes the things that only belong to God and it tricks us into thinking that we have the right to hold on to those things. So this morning, we're going to move on into verse 5. Remember, these next verses, we are... We are tiptoeing, walking through very slowly because we want to take in every little bit. And in verse 5, we find the, this morning we're going to look at the fourth and fifth of these eight negative descriptions of love that Paul gives. And I want you to remember, each one of these descriptions are not islands to themselves. They're not individual. It's not that sometimes love isn't boastful and then other times Love is not proud and love is not arrogant. It's, love is all of these things all at the same time. It's, it's just like separate strokes of the brush paint one big picture. And so that's what I, as we continue to walk through, through these, I, I want you to just take each one and just add it to the picture. And what we end up with at the end is a picture of love. And when we step back and look at that picture, the person we see is Jesus Christ. So let's look at verse 5 of chapter 13, the very beginning. We're going to look at the next two of these descriptions. So Paul says in verse 5, It, 
talking about agape love, does not dishonor others, and it is not self-seeking. It doesn't dishonor others, and it's not self-seeking. So the first thing in verse 5 Paul says is that it does not dishonor others. Another translation of this phrase is that love does not act unbecomingly. Uh, there was an art teacher that I had in middle school who used to say the phrase, if, if people were rowdy and out of line, she would say, that is rude, crude, and uncouth. I always thought it was funny. Uh, but that was, her, that was her phrase. She would throw that out when, like when we were acting inappropriate. This phrase Paul uses here means that love is not inappropriate. Um, simply, it's not rude. It's not rude to other people. And this is a reference to our manners, our common courtesies, in, in the manners that we show and how we communicate agape love through the presence of or the lack of just common courtesy to people. And you say, well, Paul's talking about some pretty deep things. Like, Why does he just throw manners into this, like, it, it, are, are our manners really that big of a deal when it comes to really communicating love? But I think because Paul's put this in here, he's teaching us that it's not just in the deepest relationships that we experience agape love, but it's in the most surface and simple ways that we interact with each other that we communicate and experience agape love. I want you to think about it in terms of this for a minute. Think about, it may have been a long time since your first date, but maybe one of your most recent dates. Or like if you've, if you've been asked out on a date or you've asked someone out on a date, there's a lot of preparation that goes into that. And that's before there's any depth of affection. There's no deep relationship you have with the person. You're just, you're interested, you're attracted. Hey, I'd love to take you out on a date. So you say, yeah. Now, there's, that is when your manners become a really big deal, right? <laughs> because if you don't use them, you may not get another date. And so I want you to think about what are all the things that, that, that you, you have to pay attention to? Well, first of all, it's good manners when you go out with somebody to make sure you're dressed appropriately, right? So how much time do you spend picking out your clothes, ladies? And guys, too, if you're going out, first impression, first day, I mean, that's a big deal. So you make sure that your outfit's all together. Guys, if you've asked a girl out on a date, you make sure your car's clean, don't you? you got to clean your car out. Like you, you know, like you take all the fast food bags and wrappers and cups out from behind your driver's seat, and you throw all that away, and you throw all the trash out, and you vacuum that thing, and all the clothes that are in the back seat or in the floorboard, you clean all that out. You can put a little bit of stuff in the trunk because you figure nobody's going in there. So maybe you cram it, but, but you clean out your car. You, you, you get the dust off that stuff. You vacuum it. You, you armor all the inside of it, make it all nice and clean. And, and uh, you make sure you, you might need some deodorizer or some air freshener in that thing because it may be a little funky. And you don't want them to, you know, like curl up their nose when they sit down in your car. You want it to smell nice. You, you, you take time to do all that. And then you'll make sure you're on time, right? That's a big deal. 
making sure you're on time, you're not late. Um, you go out to dinner, you want to make sure your conversation is appropriate, right? There's certain things that you can talk about on a date. There's certain things that you don't want to talk about on a date. Like, you don't want to tell them about your doctor's appointment you had, you know, don't tell them about your colonoscopy or something like that. That's rude. You don't talk about that kind of stuff. You, you, you think of what's appropriate topics of conversation for us to have, and you, and you compliment your date. You tell them how, how nice they look. You compliment their clothes, compliment their hair, all those things. You want to make sure that you eat properly and you're not a slob when you're eating, right? Make sure, make sure that you know, you're civilized in the way that you eat. Uh, you make sure you leave a good tip because you don't want to come across like a cheapskate. First impression, you don't want to do that. And you make sure as you're going to and from... You open the door, guys. Open the doors for the ladies. Open the car door for them. Close it. All those things. Um, and when you get to the end of the night, you make sure to walk your date to the to their door. We won't talk about if there's a kiss or not, but maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But you walk into the door. You you have manners. And manners are uh, you pay attention to all that stuff. For good reason, because if you don't, you can sabotage your chances of having another date. It only takes one little mess up, right? It only takes one awkward, weird, inappropriate moment to just make it all go flat. Good manners open the door to new relationships, right? When we initially encounter people, it's... It's our courtesy, it's our manners that, that open the door for a new relationship. But rudeness and bad manners will slam the door shut to a new relationship, won't it? You encounter a person, you encounter a business person, a restaurant server, somebody who is just rude, like you don't want to have anything else to do with them. You walk into a church, and you encounter somebody who's rude, you don't want to come back. Hmm. Why do you think Paul is talking about manners? Here's why. Our good manners not only open doors for new relationships with people, they also open people to new relationships with Jesus. I want you to think about that for a minute. Our good manners not only open doors for new relationships with people, but they also open people to new relationships with Jesus. Why is it that so many Christians think that apart from the kindness and love of Jesus, that we can draw anybody into the kingdom? And why is it that we think that being rude is somehow appropriate. That that's going to draw anybody into the kingdom of God. And you say, well, Eric, we're talking about agape. We're talking about God love. That's like really big and that's really deep. Are manners that really 
that big of a deal. Is, is that all agape love is? No. Agape love is way deeper than just good manners and common courtesy. It's way more than that. But this is what I want you to understand. Agape love will never be less than that. It will never be less than good manners and common courtesy. It will never be less than that. In Luke chapter 7, there's a story of Jesus being invited to Simon the Pharisee's house to have dinner. And, and when Jesus comes in there, they're having dinner. And this adulterous woman, we're told, comes in, kind of breaks up the dinner. It, it, it seems a little, a little crazy. And she comes in and she, the, the scripture says she begins to, to worship Jesus while he's reclined there at the table, and she, and she cries and weeps over him, and her tears fall on his feet, and she literally takes her hair and washes his feet with her tears, dries them with her hair, and, she, and she's brought this alabaster jar of perfume that probably cost her so much, like at least a year's worth of what she could have earned to come and bring that just to pour it on Jesus. An extravagant expression of love. And so here's Simon, who's the host of this dinner, and he's watching this go on. And, and the scripture says he's thinking in his mind, and he's going, wow. If Jesus was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman that is. Because she had a reputation. Boy, if he was a prophet, he would know who that woman was. And he wouldn't be letting her get all up in his business like that. And Jesus knows what he thinks, and he calls Simon's attention to it. And he uses this lady as a contrast to show Simon just how closed off to Jesus he really is. See, Simon invited Jesus to come into his house, and there are some good manners, some common courtesies that you extend to somebody in the first century when they come into your home. One, Jesus says to Simon, you didn't give me any water to wash my feet. But this lady's washed my feet with her tears. It was common courtesy to at least give your guests a basin of water so they can wash their own feet. If you, were, if you had really good manners, if you had like Chick-fil-A manners in the first century, then you would, you would have a servant there to wash their feet for them. And it would be their pleasure. Um, you would offer a kiss of greeting when they came in. She's kissing Jesus' feet. She's, she's worshiping him. Simon does none of that. He doesn't even give him a, a common kiss like a handshake in that day. You also would often offer an oil anointing. Just very quick anointing as to say, welcome into my home. I'm, I'm, I'm praying blessings over you as you come into my home. Simon doesn't do that for Jesus either. The fact that Simon didn't think about these common courtesies and manners revealed what his heart for Jesus was. He didn't, he didn't love Jesus. He was trying to trap Jesus. And that's why love didn't come out of him in the form of these common courtesies and good manners. Since I've been your pastor, I have 
um, heard more and more stories from, from people over this past year who, um, luckily, and, and to your credit, church, um, have talked to me about the experience they have when they come here. They feel welcome. They feel um, greeted. They feel comfortable when they come here. But then also people will say, you know what, I've, I've been to churches before and walked into a worship service and sat down, sat through an entire service and walked out and not a single person, including the pastor, ever spoke to me. And I just go, wow, how does that happen? I've... I've heard people talk, and, and, and may, I don't know if this has happened to you or not, but I've heard people talk about coming into a church to visit for the first time, to sit down, and a church member comes to them and says, excuse me, you're sitting in my seat. Can you please move? Now, some of y'all are giggling. And, and I know that's, that's easy to giggle about, but... Because it actually happened to Kim and I. Um, when, when I had my first job in ministry was at Antioch Baptist Church uh, here in Rome. And I love those folks dearly. I'm not, not bashing them at all. But there was a, a, a lady there who, um, who now I love her dearly, love her and her family dearly. But um, they did not know me. They actually hired me as their part-time youth minister before they had even met me. Because they trusted Billy Fricks. They trusted Billy as their pastor so much. He just hired me and they had never met me before. So Kim and I came to our very first Sunday during Sunday school. And we slipped in and we came and we sat down like right about there where Colton is sitting on that second pew on the end. And that, that was our spot. We are waiting on Sunday school to come, come out and everybody come in. Once it did, this lady who had a larger family, she came to us and said, I'm so sorry, um, but... This, this is the place that my family normally sits. Do you mind moving sitting somewhere else? Okay. <laughs> sure. So we, so we got up and moved, and we kind of looked at each other like, you got to be kidding me. And then, and then later on in the service, when they introduced the new part-time youth minister, you could just see this poor lady. You could just see her face. It just went white. Like, oh my goodness, I asked them to get up and move because they were sitting in my seat. I know that's something we joke about in church sometimes. Um, but I want to say to you, like, if, if, you've, if you've ever done that before, it's okay. But don't ever, ever ever do that again and I'm being serious y'all if you want somebody to walk in and walk out and never come back you go ahead and do that we are not a church full of Sheldon Coopers and those of you that watch Big Bang Theory know exactly what I'm talking about Sheldon has his spot and nobody can sit in his spot. Or all the world is in chaos if somebody's sitting in Sheldon's spot. We, we are not going to be that kind of church. So if you've done that before, you're forgiven for that. But I sincerely, seriously say don't ever, ever do that in this house. Um, 
I've also heard people talk about going into church and sitting down and, and literally being able to hear the people sitting behind them or the people sitting right in front of them whisper about them. And you say, well, how do they know we're talking about them? Does it really matter if you're t- really talking about them or not? If you're rude enough to have that kind of conversation with, with somebody sitting around you, even to make it look like you might be whispering about them, that's rude enough. And we wonder why people have issues with coming to church. And i got an experiment. I want, uh, it, it, if you go out to eat today after lunch when the preacher's finished preaching, if you go out to lunch and you sit down at a restaurant, I, I'm going to challenge you to do something. I, if, when your server comes to the table and begins to serve you, I want you to ask them a question. Ask your server today, what day of the week is your least favorite day to work here at this restaurant? They're going to tell you Sunday. They're going to say that Sunday is their least favorite day to work. And you know why? Because Christians all come to eat after church. And they will tell you that their customers that they have the most problem with, that are the hardest to please, that are the rudest, and who leave the worst tips are church people. Common courtesy. Um, I want to show you a couple of pictures that are just examples of things that sometimes we do as Christians that for whatever reason we think is love, but really is not. Uh, Here's the first one. You ever seen one of these before? This is a gospel tract, and it looks like a $20 bill. So if you fold it in half and lay it on a table or lay it on a bench or lay it on the ground, it looks like a $20 bill. So somebody's walking by and goes, hey, look, here's a $20 bill on the ground. And they pick it up and they open it up, and this one says, don't be fooled. There's something you can have more valuable than money. And that's the truth. But you know that there are Christians who will leave this at their table at a restaurant instead of a tip? And they think that's serving the kingdom. They think somehow they are witnessing to somebody by leaving them that and no real tip. Y'all, that's just rude. It's just straight up rude. Um, Here's another one that's a whole nother level of rude. This is a picture that was taken by a server at a restaurant, you can see the tattoo on her arm. And that's an LGBTQ pride tattoo on her arm. And she served this table, and she has a copy of the receipt there. And it, you may not be able to read it from where you're sitting, but the, the amount of the ticket was for $60.55. So they've marked zero for the tip and made $60.55 the total. And up on the corner, this is what it says. Can't tip someone who doesn't love Jesus. And then underneath that, it says, bad tattoo. And you know what's even more embarrassing? They didn't even know how to spell tattoo. (laughs) 
Like, you not only make us look rude, you make us look dumb. In what world do we think that is going to draw anybody into the kingdom of God? It's pure rudeness. It is unbecoming. It is exactly what Paul says here in this passage that love is not. And it doesn't just apply to our relationships with people outside the church. It applies to our relationships with one another inside the church. If we want people to experience the agape love of Jesus, the most basic way we can begin to do that is to treat others with common courtesy and good manners. And if we're not willing to do that, we're not going to be willing or able to do any of the other things that Paul says love does. Rudeness is unbecoming because it causes us to unbecome what we are supposed to be becoming. You remember our sermon series several months ago that was called Becoming, and we said that we are all in a process of becoming more in the image of Jesus when we are this kind of rude. And Paul says, love is not unbecoming. We are literally unbecoming what Jesus is trying to help us become. When we show this kind of rudeness. It's just ridiculous. Love is not rude. And then verse 5 also says, It does not dishonor others, and it is not self-seeking. So, so far, we have said that love is patient, and love is kind. And then we've said that it is not doesn't get jealous, it doesn't brag, it's not prideful, and we've established that it's not rude. You can take all of these descriptions and wrap them all up and, and take this fifth description and, and wrap them all together to say love is not self-seeking. Love is not selfish. There is an element of selfishness in all of these previous things. And and there can be selfishness in all of the other things that we're going to talk about. Paul puts this selfish characteristic, I think, right in the middle. Because it's the key to all the other ones. Understanding that love is not selfish. If we can understand that, then it's easier for us to understand all of the other characteristics. Um, R.C.H. Linsky, who is a Bible commentator, said this. And I just... I was blown away when I read this. Cure selfishness, and you have just replanted the Garden of Eden. The Corinthians, in this time, as Paul was writing this letter to them, they were all of these things. They were exhibiting all of these negative characteristics that that deny true agape love. They were not sharing food when they would come together for love feasts and fellowship. They were, they were suing one another, um, dragging each other into court to protect their rights. And they were all seeking individual recognition for their spiritual gifts. They were using them out of context and trying to make themselves famous. 
They were looking out for, everybody was looking out for number one. It was me, 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 me. And Paul says that is not love. Look in Luke 9, 23 through 25. The words of Jesus. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must what? Deny themselves. Jesus didn't say if you want to be my disciple, you got to look out for yourself. He said, you must deny yourself and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will what? Lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Your Bible may say, Lose their soul. What good is it? Love is not selfish. It's not consumed with pursuing itself. That word, that phrase that Paul uses literally means love doesn't chase after itself. It doesn't pursue itself. It doesn't go out in order to find itself. Um, Have you ever heard somebody, when I read that, that definition and that translation, I thought, wow, I've heard people before you say, well, you know what, I'm, I'm just kind of trying to find myself right now. You ever heard somebody say that? Maybe you've said it. Say, you know, I'm, I'm just in a place in my life where I'm kind of confused. I don't really know where I'm going. I'm just trying to find myself. And, you know, that's kind of a funny thing to say. Because the only time... We need to find something. Is if one, we've never had it. Or two, you used to have it, but you lost it. And when we talk about finding ourselves, I wonder what do we think we're going to find once we find ourselves? I'll tell you, if I went on a search for myself, I'll tell you what I would find. When I got to the end of that search, I would find a big mess. Because that's all I am. I, when, when people say, I'm just trying to find myself, like what are, what are you hoping to find? That phrase, Paul says love, when it says Love isn't selfish. It it literally means that it doesn't go out looking for itself. If we're to consider what Jesus just said in Luke chapter 9, it sounds like Jesus isn't calling us to find ourselves, but what Jesus is doing is calling us to lay aside ourselves and come find him. Because there in him is something worth finding. When I get to the end of searching for myself, I'm going to be disappointed. You get to the end of a journey to try to find yourself, you're going to be disappointed. And you put yourself on a journey to find Jesus. You start pursuing him. You start chasing after him. You won't be disappointed. If we really want to take hold of the life that God is offering us, 
We have to put down the life that we're offering ourselves. Jesus says, I have a life that I'm offering you. But then we try to manufacture and offer ourselves a different kind of life. And Jesus says, you can't hold on to the life I have for you until you let go of yours. It's not, love is not self-seeking. Love takes all of its own self-interest, its self-pursuit, and its self-preservation and lays it to the side to grab hold of something that's far greater, far more real. And one of the greatest illustrations of this I can think of is in Mark 14. As Jesus is approaching the cross. And beginning in verse 32, Mark writes and says, They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. His, his humanity was coming face to face with the reality of the torture he was going to be enduring on the cross. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. I don't think there's a better example of selflessness in the scriptures than in that moment that Jesus is wrestling with his humanity and the fear of what he is about to endure on the cross and the temptation of selfishness that he fought in the garden that night. Where there was a part of his humanity that said, you need to take care of yourself. You need to make sure you're okay. You don't deserve this. You don't deserve to be treated like this. You've not done anything wrong. Why are you doing this for somebody else? And those, and those thoughts, those temptations come into his mind. And he says to the Father, God, I want to follow your will. I want to do, I want to accomplish the mission. I want to do what it is that you want me to do. If there's some other way that this can be done, that, that I don't have to face what I'm facing here. If you can accomplish the plan some other way, then please do it. But as soon as he says that, no quicker does, do the words come out of his mouth. But God, it's not what I want. He lays down everything that his humanity wants. And he says, I'm going to fully embrace and chase after what it is that you want. And it's because of that selflessness that we sit in here today with something to sing and celebrate and worship. There's not a better example of the selflessness of love. Than in Jesus. Love will do what is best for others 
with no regard for its own wants or needs. Love just isn't about itself ever in any of these characteristics. And you say, you may say, well, if I just spend my whole life pouring into other people if I, and I don't do anything to, to try to take care of myself, how does that work? And sometimes if, if I ever get to counsel a couple or there's a young couple that wants to come to me to be married and I get to counsel with them, we talk about this. And I think the same principle applies in marriage that applies in the church. And it's this. If I spend all of my time and effort making sure that I'm taking care of you and you spend all of your time and effort trying to make sure that you're taking care of me, then everybody's taken care of. It works. If, if we are outward focused on each other, then it works. When things get messed up is when we start having this attitude of, well, I'm not getting what I want. I'm not getting what I need. I'm going to look out for me. I'm going to take care of myself. And when that kind of attitude starts going back and forth in a marriage, in a church, in a family, then that's when things go crazy. Paul says love is not self-seeking. It is all outward. Agape love doesn't pursue itself. And aren't we glad that the agape love did not was not God pursuing himself because God doesn't pursue himself. He pursues you. And he pursues me. That is the gospel. And when we as believers can begin to live a life where we pursue other people, we pursue each other, we look out for each other, we, we pursue the good in other people, and we are not self-seeking, then all of a sudden, guess what? The world begins to see the gospel in real life in our relationships with each other. And then they begin to look at us, and they see a picture of who God is and what God offers them in his agape love.